Scott Drew on Keontae George and Johnny Dawkins on Taylor Hendricks. The college coaches are on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, equal housing lender. Before I get to the college coaches, and you'll hear from them, this is the last bit of the college guys, and then next podcast you'll hear from the players themselves. I caught up with them yesterday as they were introduced to Utah and had their first steps in the practice facility. But first, what is going on in Utah? Yeah, I have my Brian Windhorse fingers in the air. I am looking at the first take desk with people in bemusement. What is going on with Utah? Who cares what's going on in Utah? Nay, what is going on in Utah? Because ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported on a trade that happened this week, and it's John Collins coming to the Jazz for Rudy Gay in a second-round pick. So this isn't official until July 6th, but as far as the move and what it means and impacts on the Jazz, it's very simple. This is pre-agency for the Utah Jazz. This is the big free agency move that they're going to make. Because if you go back to the podcast that I did with Bobby Marks after the season ended, Jazz had cap space. They were one of the teams that had cap space. And if you talk to anyone in the league, and I do fairly regularly, cap space is overrated. Because as much as you can plan on somebody leaving a spot and coming to your place, if they sign back with their team, well, where are you? So cap space can be overrated because as much as you stockpile it, you eventually have to use it. And if free agency is the only way that you want to use it, then you might be stuck giving Timothy Mozgov a big contract that happened in the 2010s. Now, where the Jazz are right now, their books are clean. They have undeniable salary cap flexibility, and draft assets in future years that can build out this team. So the John Collins trade, this is a big free agency move. He's the highest played player now. He's on a five-year, $125 million deal, and he's in the third year of it. The last season, he's going to be a player option. And all it cost was his second-round pick in Rudy Gay? That's a good bit of business. So the Jazz absorb the contract, and they get it only because Atlanta's looking for a partner to take on the contract. He's been on the trading block for seemingly 10 years since his career started. But since he signed that deal, he's basically been on the trading block. And the Jazz get him at the bottom of his trade value because he had career-low years last season. Career-low in rebounds, career-low in field goal percentage, second-worst scoring output since his rookie year. He's at bottom, and a change of scenery hopefully reinvigorates his play, what he can do, because there's talent there. Remember him coming out of Wake and seeing he could be a 20-point-per-game scorer. He catches lobs. He can shoot the three. He spent a year in the upper 30s as a three-point shooter. He spaces the floor. He stretch. 
And for as high as I am on Taylor Hendricks as a stretch for, John Collins isn't going to cede that spot quickly. Taylor Hendricks better be in for a battle because Collins has talent. And so for a team that coveted his skill set, coveted his talent, rumors were about him coming here for a while. Now they finally get him. I'm interested to see what the John Collins experience is like. He's playing in a system with Will Hardy that is very different from Atlanta, where it's all about Trey. So looking forward to that. As for Rudy Gay, he leaves after two years. A stint on the bench, an uneven performance. It's very reminiscent to what Jeff Green had here in wild expectations put on them, ultimately unrealized. But last year was a good year for Rudy Gay in terms of building himself back up and providing a sort of veteran wisdom that I know last year's group valued. And I'm sure he'll bring that to Atlanta. But that's a trade. Not official until next week. And options coming up for Jordan Clarkson, Taylor Horton Tucker. I'm sure I'll address that next show. But this is the move. This is the free agency move. John Collins, highest paid player on the team. What a sentence. I'll do a look at free agency next podcast, but do understand Houston's the one holding all the cards. They have the most cap space. Everything runs through Houston. They could get three guys. They could get one guy in James Harden. They control where this free agent class goes to. So keep your ears to the streets, and I'll keep mine too. Five stars, nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. It's called Round Ball Roundup. And now, college coaches. Some of my favorite people on the planet. Scott Drew of Baylor. He is all positivity, all the time. Joy is the word of his culture. And he joins us now on Round Ball Roundup. After, you'll hear from Johnny Dawkins on Taylor Hendricks. And then, next podcast, it'll be the players. All of them. Sat down. You'll hear them describe their games. How they believe... The rest of their draft class will do, and some background on their story. But right now, the college coaches, Scott Drew and Johnny Dawkins, on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. me and uh, once again we got another Baylor Bear in Utah. Uh, F.A. Udo, Royce O'Neal, Jared Butler, uh, Keontae George. It seems like it's a match made in heaven, uh, <laughs> these two organizations. But tell me, I, I, I got to catch up with him yesterday and he brought up joy mm. immediately. Mm. How was Keontae an embodiment of joy when he was on your program? Well, I think Utah um, values uh, the same thing that we value in players, and that is 
guys that are talented and good basketball players, but also uh, high character, uh, great morals, and uh, great in the community, people that can uh, uh, be great ambassadors to our programs and for our programs. So Utah's always had uh, high character individuals uh, represent the Jazz. And Keontae's somebody that uh, uh, he's young, uh, got a playful spirit, got a great heart, uh, cares what his teammates think. Um, young people love him. Uh, he's worked really hard. And uh, uh, no matter what age um, person around him, uh, you're going to enjoy talking with him because he's a great young man. When did he get on your radar? Because he is from Texas, but he goes to Florida to play at IMG. When does he come on your radar as somebody to recruit to Baylor? Well, I think he was on our radar when he was like, 13 years old. So <laughs> anyway, we've known him for a long time. And uh, uh, he was able to uh, uh, play at IMG um, to finish out his high school career. But I, obviously, the relationship was um, already established long before that. And he was somebody that uh, um, we knew early on well, was a very good fit for our program just because um, how he carried himself uh, and, and the basketball talent, which he has. And, uh, I know, uh, Danny Ainge, Justin Zanuck, uh, they do a great job in evaluating talent and they know, uh, the potential in Keontae. What was the talent fit? He brought up a trip to Canada that he really started going and, and started to feel like his talent translated to the college yeah. game. Well, we, we, we went up and, uh, had a summer tour representing the USA team and, uh, he, he playing against people that were 22 years old. Uh, he had some big games. He had two games, uh, one more than 30, the other right at 30 or something. But I mean, he was um, at stretches was dominant and, and was able to take over uh, uh, games at times. And I think that gave him confidence, gave our players confidence in him and great competition. And he was able to show that uh, there was no difference between high school and college for him. Uh, and Keontae, one of the things uh, uh, that that I've always enjoyed, the bigger the play, the bigger the moment. Game game winners, He, I, I don't know if anyone's hit more game winners in practice uh, than he did in a year. I mean, uh, uh, if it comes down to that last shot, uh, uh, he seems to make more than he misses, which is a great trait. One, he can get the shot, but two, he can make it. And fitting amongst a backcourt that is pretty good. I mean, you guys traditionally have a pretty good backcourt, but him fitting alongside good players stood out in the draft process and looking at him. How did he fit alongside other talented players in the roster, going back even to IMG when he was playing with players that would jump to the Division One level? Yeah, and, and, and playing in that uh, um, prep level, I mean, you're playing great competition. You have great teammates around you. It's structured uh like a college in a lot of aspects and uh with us uh we've we've had a tradition of uh great players uh we finished uh uh in this one year the ninth overall seed in, in for the ncaa tournament so uh there were only eight teams that had a better regular season than us and Keontae, somebody that was able to benefit from the upperclassmen guards we had uh um, Adam Flagler's great leader, great young man, and someone that did a great job in uh, helping Keontae. Uh, uh, Jonathan Chamachacho in the front line. Um, 
did a great job helping him. LJ Cryer, uh, another person been in our program several years. Uh, so you, you, you surround uh, him with a couple of vets. And uh, the great thing is they did a great job in helping make that transition easier for him. And he did a great job in, in listening and uh, trying to improve. How do you handle playing on and off the ball? Well, I think uh, that was one thing that uh, surprised our staff even is his ball screen reads and how he could play um, um, at the point. And somebody that uh, in, in high school, because he was so efficient as a scoring guard and uh, somebody played off the ball more, uh, that was that was a talent and something that we hadn't seen as much. But uh, we we have in our offense, uh, we let multiple people handle it and play off a uh, uh, ball screen opportunities and ISO situations. And he's somebody that uh, uh, did a great job uh, in handling the ball. Um, he can make reads that only a point guard can make. At the same time, he'll get better at valuing because uh, when you when you can make great passes, uh, you tend to take more risks um, than you might want. Um, he reminds me of a young Patrick Mahomes, maybe. <laughs> Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. seems like it it's almost limitless the range that he has yeah well i mean i mean there's steph and dame they've kind of showed that an open shot at half court might be better than a contested one on the line so keontae somebody that uh he can shoot it from deep and uh you have great confidence whenever he shoots it uh as long as it's a good shot it's going in um at the same time uh, because he's a good player um, people make it difficult to get shots and his ability to get a shot is something that I know a lot of the pros uh, uh, were intrigued by and enjoyed. Did the Caleb Lohner, Keontae George roommate pairing lead to some good moments? Well, b- both of them uh, uh, outgoing, fun-loving, um, both of them from the Metroplex, known each other from a lot, for a long time. So uh, uh, both of them uh, uh, great young men and uh, Caleb's one of those guys that uh, if you don't know much about him, I mean, there's there's not much he can't do. I think he uh, put together an old van or car off of YouTube and resold it. Um, if it's skiing, if it's snowboarding, if it's uh, uh, surfing, um, uh, he's a man of many talents. Yeah, Keontae said yesterday that Caleb got him into surfing and he still wants to go out on the on the water and surf with Caleb at one point. Well, and that, and that can be in the ocean or that can be wakeboarding. I mean, like, uh, uh, Caleb, Caleb, Caleb loves adventure. So, and, and again, that's just shows you with, with Keontae, he's, uh, up to trying anything. He's a great young man and, uh, gets along with everybody. What kind of practice player was he? 
Well, Keontae is somebody that likes to win, so he competes. And um, being surrounded by upperclassmen, uh, at the end of the day, if someone goes hard, it makes it easier for you to go hard. And there's always a transition from high school to college. And there will be a transition from college to the NBA. And you have the right locker room, the right vets. It makes it smoother. And uh, Keontae, I thought, bought in right away and uh, tried to improve on both ends of the floor and, and definitely uh, got better in one year. And because of that, we had a successful year. How do you see him fitting in the NBA? Well, I think uh, uh, the things that uh, the NBA looks for, he has. And now it's just an opportunity to grow in his craft and improve his talents. And uh, he's somebody that went from 225 in, in high school when he left IMG to 201. So he's worked hard to uh, improve his speed and his quickness. Um, defensively, he really got better um, from the beginning of the year to the end. And uh, his point guard uh, uh, abilities will hopefully translate as he spends more time uh, handling the ball. But at the end of the day, the thing that he does elite is he can score it and he can get a shot and he can make it and uh, he made game winners. So uh, he's somebody with a lot of potential. Is there one standout highlight, if you have to look at his freshman year, that you think of when you think of the name Keontae George? Well, I think uh, if you could take that first half at Kansas, uh, I think he showed the total package there in a sports center like Dunk, um, 30 foot three. Um, but he just showed uh, uh, what he was capable of uh, efficiency wise. Uh, Texas Tech, West Virginia were other two games that. Uh, uh, he was he was he really stood out and uh, for a freshman to average over 15 in the Big 12, um, the toughest conference in the country. That's night in and night out. Uh, great coaching, great players. Um, they do a great job scouting. And if there was a weakness, they would have found it. It's a pretty good league that your team plays in. <laughs> needless to say, it's not the NBA, but it's it's pretty close. <laughs> We'll look forward to watching him in the NBA. He is the head coach of the Baylor men's basketball program, Scott Drew, on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Coach Drew, thank you so much for taking the time. Always great watching the Jazz. Love how you guys play and compete. Great sense of pride in what he's accomplished here in such a short time. And and excited about his future as he moves forward with you all and with the Jazz organization. Uh, he was a terrific ambassador here, and I don't expect nothing less as he moves to the next level. What does his success impact your program and what you do going forward beyond this year? Well, obviously, you know, it impacts us, you know, in the fact that when you have a player of Taylor's caliber that can come in and, you know, spend one year here and go in the top 10 in the draft, says a lot about our program and what we do uh, as much as it does about him you know it also I think it's a reflection on what we've been able to build here as well and so uh, I think it's very exciting times for us just like it is for him uh, him coming through here and, and being such an unbelievable person not just player I think he represented this university in the best way that that any young student athlete could how exciting was it to spend draft night with him you know, that was a lot of fun. I hadn't been to a draft night since since I was drafted back in 1986. I'm dating myself. So uh, to go back in that environment and you just forget just how amazing an environment that is, how special an evening that is. And 
uh, to take it all in, take it all in this time from a different perspective, uh, waiting for, you know, someone that I've coached his name to be called as opposed to waiting for my name to be called uh, was, was a little unusual, but I tell you what, it was, it was a lot of spending that time and share those moments with he and his family. And the draft was a little different back then than it was now. Definitely, definitely, definitely a different draft than it was then, but still, uh, there's nothing like waiting that five minutes for your name to be called, uh, you know, especially if you're a first rounder, you know, you're waiting and anticipating, you know, when is your name going to be called? And uh, I tell you, it's the longest five minutes you wait between rounds, probably if anyone, until your name is called. What was the recruitment process for him like? Because reading into his history, he played with a lot of good players, not only at high school level when in freshman year he's playing with Scotty Barnes, but in EYBL, he's on a stacked team with Bryce Sensabaugh, Dylan Mitchell, like other D1 players. What was the recruitment process to get Taylor Hendricks to UCF? Well, we started the process off early. Once we heard about him, we started recruiting him. So we had seen him really early in high school. And so just kept following him and kept recruiting him. And, uh, you know, we saw talent in him and we were hoping that, you know, we could run the race. And uh, we were able to. I think I think our consistency staying with him and getting to know his mom real well and, and, and getting to know both of the boys was very important in, uh, in, in his decision. And so I think it, we just built a relationship built on trust. And he trusted us at the end, so he made the decision to come with us. And I'm just very happy that it worked out for him. What twin connection does he have with his brother, Tyler? <laughs> They're really connected. You know, I, that's the toughest thing is uh, – you know, as you know, when you have a twin and, and they get that separation uh, at some point, it's always, you know, a little difficult. But the good thing is uh, for both Taylor and Tyler, they know they have each other to lean on. They are, they're each other's best friend. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, it's, so, it's so amazing. I've always seen them together. So this is the first time now we have Tyler here still working out with us. And I'm watching Tyler. It's no Taylor and vice versa. So, so it's a... Uh, it's a unique, you know, a unique time for us. But, but I think both both the young men are adjusting really, really well. Uh, Taylor's, you know, had to go away for different workouts, as you know, and preparing for the draft and everything. So uh, they've already kind of gone through that. It's the, probably the separation anxieties that you would probably have early on as, as twins. I can guarantee there is one big UCF fan that's going to be in Salt Lake and one huge jazz fan that's going to be on campus with you uh, when you play next year. <laughs> that will be nice. Can you imagine, right? Uh, being in that conference. And so we'll be, we'll be there. And that's, that's also exciting. You know, looking forward to that and happy to have a chance to get out there and, and, and check in on, on Taylor and, and see how he's doing. And, and that's going to be good. I'm sure, like you said, be following our progress, of course. So it should be, it should be a lot of fun for all of us. What were some early indicators that he could be someone who could make the jump to the next level? Well, I think for us, you know, we, we always thought that in the recruiting process in the 11th and 12th grade year, we, we saw the potential in a man. Like, he, you know, he has a chance with his length, his ability to shoot the basketball. As he continues to get stronger and develop, we like the sky's the limit for this young man. And so we felt that way then. And then when we got him here for the summer, like around this time right now, we were working out and training. And, you know, you started to watch how he was, you know, responding to the things we were doing, the different workouts and drills and, competing and you saw it in him you know you know he's you saw the desire the hunger wanting to be really really good 
Uh, you saw the competitiveness going against some upperclassmen players that are talented players and him just going out there and, and competing and, and, and not backing down. Uh, you know, it was really, really, you know, good to see kind of like, wow, you know, we thinking this young man has a chance to be, you know, an NBA player, you know, you know, but now it's like his timetable may be a lot faster based on what I was seeing. Uh, you, you knew the timetable could be moved up based on how he was performing on a daily basis in, in the workouts, in our scrimmages, and, of course, during the season. Do you have a favorite in-game moment that he was able to show throughout the year that stands out to say, he he is special and that, that's something that I haven't seen before? Well, no, I mean, coming down the stretch of the game, we, we had a tough, heartbreaking loss to Missouri. But coming down the stretch of that game, we needed we needed several big baskets. And he wanted the ball in each one of them and knocked them down. I mean, I mean, talking about big baskets that you have to have these baskets to make this run and come back. And he stepped up and made those plays, you know, when he had to make them. Uh, that was one of the moments that I, I remember vividly. And then we had a home game. I forget who we were playing. And he, uh, you know, we were down, you know, we were we were down. I think we were down a point and with 15 seconds or so left on the clock, I want to say Cincinnati. And he ends up coming around and received the basketball and, and he won it again. He takes the shot, knocks it down again, puts us up by one. Now they come down and hit a shot pretty much at the buzzer to beat us. But I mean, he, he would do that. He, he did that multiple times during the season where he wasn't afraid of the moment. You know, you know those shots, he relished those moments, relished those shots. And uh, that's something that, you know, you don't often see in players. The other thing that really stands out apart from his shooting is the effort level defensively. Where does that come from and how was he able to keep that sustained throughout a year? He really had a, a motor defensively. Well, you said it right. He has a motor. You know, he always has a good motor. I think working with him and, you know, he has some things to adjust to because of coming from high school to college. But uh, he was he was a willing listener. He, he's very coachable. And uh, we switched a lot of things. So he had to learn to guard multiple positions. He hadn't really been guarding point guards, twos, threes, fours, and sometimes fives. But the way we play, he was put in that position. And you know, he embraced it, and he got better all year. You know, I just watched him improve defensively from the beginning to the end. His effort and energy was always there. It was just understanding angles and techniques that you got to apply at this level to be more successful. And then uh, he always had great timing and instincts for blocking shots around the basket. He's a lot longer than you think he is. And so he's quick off his feet. So those things all, I think, attributed to him, you know, becoming a really good defender for us. What type of practice player is he? Because I can't pull up ESPN Plus and look in at one of your practices, but what type yeah. of worker is he beyond just what we see in games? No, he's a, not only does he practice as he work, but he'll also come back after practice to continue to work. I mean, he did that throughout our season. You know, he just didn't come in for practice. He'd come in and get extra work after practice as well. And so that says a lot about him. In practice, he never missed that one practice, never missed one game. So he's very durable. And, uh, and, he, and he gave you effort every practice. The one thing about him is he always did something in practice to, to, to let you know that he was there. You know, like, he, you know, it, was, it wasn't a practice. He didn't make whether it's a, a, a block shot or a certain type of way he went to go pursue a ball to rebound or whether it's making a shot offensively or finishing something around the basket. He always left you with something where you felt like you felt his presence on the court. Ultimately, how do you think his game translates to the Jazz and the NBA? Well, I think his game translates very well to the modern NBA, to be quite frank. He's versatile. He's long. 
He can knock down shots on the perimeter. He can guard multiple positions. So on and on and on. I think his game right now and the time of where the game is in the NBA, I think he fits perfectly for, for where the game has gone in. I know if Jay Billis and a Duke teammate of yours likes him on the Jazz, I know it's going to go well. <laughs> no, I'm excited for him with, with him on the Jazz as well. And, uh, you know, I think I think you have one of my former uh, a young man I coached as, as well as worked with is, is one of the coaches uh, for the Summer League for the Jazz. I think Steve Wojciechowski. Yes, Wojo. Yep. Did I see that. Did I read that somewhere. So we have a, uh, you know, a connection there as well. So that's what I'm very excited for, for all of that that's to come for the Jazz organization. What kind of coach are the Salt Lake City Stars, the G League team, getting in Wojo? Uh, I mean, you're getting uh, just a very competitive person, passionate about the game, talking about extremely hard worker, and, uh, you know, like I said, and, and very knowledgeable. I mean, you're getting a guy who has a great deal of experience you know, at the collegiate level with USA basketball, you know, do you talk about his playing days as well? I mean, so you're talking about a guy who, you know, I think any organization he'll be, you know, associated with, he will only continue to enhance who they are and what they do. Well, we're looking forward to watching Wojo coach with the Stars and also Taylor Hendricks on the Jazz, and I'm sure they'll be interacting uh, both ways. He is UCF head coach of the men's basketball program, Johnny Dawkins, on Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Coach Dawkins, appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thank you. You guys take care.